This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I would like to welcome four-time PGA Tour winner Tim Heron to the Sub-70 podcast. Uh, Lumpy, uh, thanks again for doing this. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Uh, Looking forward to it. I saw you were uh, playing at the Sanderson Farms Championship uh, last week. Uh, How was the game? How was the fall series kind of shaping up for you? And any idea of how many events you'll still be playing on the PGA Tour uh, kind of at the end of this year or start of the new season, I should say? Yeah, uh, last week I was a little rusty the first day. Um, I didn't particularly drive it real well, and uh, I probably had seven putts kind of roll over the the lip. Uh, I felt like my putting was really good and didn't really get a lot out of it, but was very encouraged on what I'm trying to do with my putting. I'm kind of starting a new uh, theory, so it's a little more exciting or, you know, a new process on how I'm going to putt. So that's probably the one thing that I struggle with the most is, is putting. And, but uh, I feel real confident that uh, I'm making good strides to become a better putter, more consistent. What, what changes are you doing? So what's the sort of premise behind well, the been, improvement? I've been working, I've been working with uh, Larry Bobka, and he works with Lucas Glover and Brad Faxon and, I figure, uh, and I've known him for 25 years. He worked for Titleist and Scotty Taylor and stuff like that. Now he's up in Minnesota, so I've been working with him a little bit in the studio. I just got to get him out on the golf course and, uh, you know, show him kind of my tendencies on the golf course. So, uh, great guy and uh, uh, highly respected. I respect him a lot and, uh, you know, he, he's been working, trying to get me to do like an arm putter and, uh, it just feels so uncomfortable. I think I'm just going to stick with the claw, but have the same feels as the arm putter. I still have to talk to him about that, but, uh, anyways, that's kind of what I'm doing, but, uh, I, I'm pressing my hands pretty well forward. I used to always kind of be neutral with my hands almost, uh, and back of the shaft. So now I'm really pressing the hands and, and and getting my shoulders more square where my shoulders were really open. So I'd hit a lot of putts where I would cut across them or, or I'd hit them straight down the line. So I had like a two way miss. So now hopefully I just have kind of a one way miss. It's kind of the same thing as like on the golf course, you know, about the one way miss, the two way miss. Yeah. Interesting. So that's, yeah. Well, in the work he's done with Lucas, it's it's ironic. Our golf head golf professional at Kishwaukee Country Club here is really good friends with Larry. So, um, you know, he's talking about what he's worked with with Lucas, and I mean, Lucas's putting stats are, I mean, so improved, and you can see the results of how great of a year he had. I mean, what a great resource to work with Larry and our head pro at our club just has. I mean, same thing you're saying, like you know, such a great mind of how to improve putting and what his thought processes are and, and whatnot. That's interesting because, like I said, the guys he seems to work with, they seem to get a lot out of it. Yeah, I think he keeps it pretty simple where a lot of guys complicate it. So he, you know, he's given me just like one drill to kind of keep it simple and just kind of, 
if you're going to air, I, I talk to him quite a bit. Like, if I'm going to air, what should I do? He goes, air pressing your hands even more because you got to get used to pressing your hands. You're actually probably going to go back to more neutral, you know, under the gun. So the more you can practice pressing your hands, you know. And he didn't really even say that. I could just kind of feel it when I had the arm putter that he built for me. It was just really hard for me to get comfortable, maybe because I'm a little bigger. It's hard for me to kind of get around on it to get my arms closer together to putt arm putter. But um, when I was out at Sanders Farm, I actually talked to Lucas a little bit. And uh, so it was pretty cool. He's giving me feedback on Larry and stuff like that. I think he's a pretty easygoing guy, tries to keep it real simple. You know, that's what we need. You know, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to get just a little better and, you know, kind of go down a path. Like if you you struggle that way, it's easier to get out of uh, a bad habit. It's a crazy game, isn't it? At, at almost 50, we're still thinking, you know, hey, I can get better and improve, right? It's the beauty of the game. Yeah, exactly. It? There's always that next step of, like, you know, some, some feedback and, and trying to get better every day. Like, that's what makes the great, you know, game so great. Um, also, I, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but you were saying in part two of the fall series, um, does it look like you're going to get into a few events with the past champions? Staff? Well, I'm I'm out right now by three in Houston, but I don't know. I forgot to kind of look at the schedule, but I think some guys, people are thinking it's going to withdraw. It's kind of weird because the schedules changed over the years where it's harder to kind of figure out if you're going to get in or get out. But I'll have Bermuda, I think, for sure. There's a new tournament in Bermuda, which I played the British Amateur when I was a kid in high school. I'd go over there with my dad pretty cool island there's no really cars there's cabs but you can't get a rental car so you gotta take scooters i'm thinking of getting maybe a pink scooter to kind of cruise around the island in and then uh rsm i'm in by 10 but that's you know that's almost two months away that's kind of the end of november so i mean i might have three before i hit the champions tour so i think my first one on the champions tour might be uh, either Boca or Naples. I don't know if Boca is going to change dates. They don't. Um, they don't come out with their schedule until November, until after their Schwab Cup. So uh, that's going to be different because it's going to go back to like the way I used to play on tour back in the '90s and the early 2000s, where the the schedule is almost through the whole year. So that'll be kind of fun to kind of go back retro on the scheduling on the champion store. So I'm looking forward to uh, heading out there. I know it's going to be competitive. It's going to be, uh, you know, a lot of the guys that were good back in the day are good now. Um, so it's going to be competitive, but it's going to be fun. Uh, it'll be nice to uh, hit a ball up next to guys that you've been playing with instead of playing with the bombers where they hit it, you know, 30, 40 by a, are you most excited to kind of like see the guys that you grew up playing with as they're all kind of, you know, that transition going to the champions tour? Is it, is it the social aspect and the guys that you're comfortable with? Or is it also to that hunger to compete win again? And, you know, Hey, you, you know, potentially there's a, there's a chance at a major championship, which, you know, you have a hell of a good resume over a long period of time, but to get that, you know, champions tour major, I imagine that would be a special moment. I mean, this, I'm assuming you got to be, pumped up on about three levels to get out there and, and go mix it up and, yeah, and play. Sweet. You know, I, I, I did an outing with uh, Tom Lehman, and 
he was telling me, he goes, what's really great about it is um, if you're a good player and you're older, you know, you're kind of working hard to make a cut out on the regular tour. And you kind of get in the heat of the battle and winning tournaments on the Champions Tour if you're if you're playing well, and that's kind of what it's all about. He's like, that's why guys play out there is you know to feel competitive, to have a chance to win, and it's fun to get in you know in the in the mix and trying to win a tournament coming down the stretch. Do you think your mindset will have to change a little bit in the sense that I've talked to a few guys and it kind of makes sense, but the, the thing is on the regular tour, you can, a few more pars, you know, as you're getting later in your forties, making the cut is a, not a bad thing when you're competing against guys who are 25, but on the champions tour, uh, they, it's like birdies out of the gate. Like you, you gotta go five, four on the yeah. par every day to win. I mean, the, the level of play is that good out there that that's what it takes. You know, two under par rounds out there will get kind of ran over for the most part. It, is there a mindset that's going to have to change? Do you think the way you're approaching a tournament now versus when you turn 50? No, I, I don't think so. I think you're going to see more looks at birdies when, when I get out there. I know it's competitive and I'm not taking it for granted at all, but small things that people wouldn't even think of will be a little different. The hole will be <clears throat> holes will be 20 yards shorter. Uh, par fives will be a little more reachable and there won't be quite as much rough. So like if you do hit it in the rough, you still with a wedge or nine or eight iron, you still have a chance to maybe get the ball close. The pins will be tucked, but they won't be three from the edge. They might be more five yards from the edge. So the pins won't be quite as tucked as on the PJ Tour. They don't set the, the course up quite as hard. So you're, you're going to have more looks throughout the day. So you gotta you got to almost stay patient, I believe, because you're going to have more birdie opportunities. So I think you just stay patient, and you're going to have more looks. So you might not make as many putts, but you're hoping throughout the day that you're making a few 20-footers to kind of keep it going. I know some guys talk about, uh, the three-day tournament, it's a race, but you're you're hoping to have that one nine where you shoot pretty low, like a 30-31, you know, and you're hoping every week you have that nine. So they stay patient, hoping that they have that nine, so they kind of look at it that way. So there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. I mean, but you still got to play. You still got to play. But my, game, my game's good. I'm hoping the chipping might not be quite as hard either. You know, we have, you know, the tour really scalps the the fairway. So when I started in the nineties, every green you'd hit over a green, you'd be in a rough with a little uphill lie. You know, let's say you'd hit the back of the green and hop over. You'd be a couple yards over right now. They do a lot of the shaving off in that Bermuda. So you hit it over a green, it runs down into a little hollow. And now you're actually eight, 10 yards from the green. And you got to hit like a clean chip. And I've always been, you know, growing up north, I've always been pretty steep on my chips because you're playing out of the rough and you're trying to kind of pop the ball up in the air. So I think um, I'm still, I feel like I'm still a good chipper. It's just, it's a totally different technique. Like even the kids grew up with more of the uh, runoff type areas where I grew up chipping out of more rough besides in front of greens, you know, than you have. So I think some of that stuff's a little different, uh, but uh, um, so I'm hoping, you know, 
there might be, hopefully there's a little bit of cushion where you can get underneath the ball a little better chipping out there. But I don't know. I, I've heard both where, you know, they do scalp and, you know, there's some hard golf courses that they do play. Yeah. And like I said, those guys can, it's, it's, they can still really play. It's, uh, it'll be fun to watch. Like it's going to be, you know, you're still competitive on the PGA tour and that's the, those guys like yourself who are competitive on the PGA tour, go on the champions tour. They usually got a pretty good, what, six, seven, eight year run in them. You know, you should, it's going to be fun to see what you can do out there with. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful. And you know, just I, I'm just hopeful. Like if I do get in, uh, in the mix and win in a tournament, I'm, uh, hopefully, you know, I can kind of stay there, you know, um, uh, last year I, I played good at colonial and, and, uh, top 10. And that was, that was fun. It was, it's hard to kind of stay there. And that golf course is pretty hard, but, uh, so it, it's going to be, I, I did get advice, you know, I, you know, I kind of lost my card and got my temporary, you know, well, not temporary, but I am still a member of the PGA Tour. But uh, where I just play in, you know, the events that were lower where I could get in. And I, I just remember getting advice. I uh, I think it was Bobby, Watt, it was Bobby Watkins, Lanny's uh, brother, saying, you know, just play as many events as you can, stay competitive, and that'll help when you get out on the Champions Tour. You don't want to take five years off and then just say and playing with the guys, you know, at the club and saying, oh, yeah, I still have it, because you've been playing the same golf course every day. You know, you still got to get out there and see what you can do and what you need probably to work on. And mine's always kind of been putting, so I kind of do know that. And I mean, I got to make sure I still work on putting. Yeah, absolutely. It's great advice because, like you said, you can tell the guys who have made that transition from from playing either on Corn Ferry or, you know, past champions on the PGA Tour, then if they're pretty competitive out there and they go on the Champions Tour, you can see that transition being easier versus, I think, like a guy like Chris DeMarco who took seven or eight years off. He's playing better now, but that first year he was out there, I mean, you could tell he wasn't probably, you know, it takes time to get back to being tournament ready at that level of play. So it sounds like Mr. Watkins had some pretty good advice for you. Yeah, and then Peter Jacobson also gave me, you know, he was doing TV, and he goes, oh, yeah, you're going to be out on the Champions Tour. He goes, you know, the first year, don't put too much pressure on because, you know, it's different. You don't know where you're staying. And he goes, you finally get in your routine. The second year gets better. So he said, you know, even if the first year doesn't go great, the second year gets better because then you kind of know where to stay, when to fly in, um, you know, when to play a practice round, just, you know, it's, you know, they're different towns. So, you know, when you've been playing in the same town for 20 years, you kind of know what to do and what to expect. And he said that was just different for him. The first year was a little harder, just kind of knowing, you know, what to do and, you know, all that stuff. And then the second year, I think he played pretty well. It's interesting. I was going to ask you, this was one of the questions I had that you brought up. Was TV with your personality and sense of humor and you kind of have this following that the fans like, when you do interviews and that whatnot, you know, you got like a fan base that follows what you're doing. Was that ever approached to you in your forties when you weren't playing as much to do TV work or anything like that? Or was that something you ever had interest in? Yeah. You know what? I, I talked about it quite a bit. I did have, uh, um, quite a bit of interest in it. Um, there was like two things, you know, they, you kind of have to approach them. They're busy. You have to approach them to do it. 
Uh, their advice is to start out with the golf channel. And then if like a big net network liked you, then they, you know, they kind of see your work, you know? Um, and then I had, I had two things. I'm, uh, learning disabled where like if someone you're wearing a headset and if someone's shouting at you and you're trying to, you know, concentrate on, you know, to try to concentrate on trying to get the message out the best you can. Um, I don't know if I'd be very good at that because then I'd probably quit in mid sentence and stuff like that. And the other thing is, you know, I traveled so much. Uh, I played so much golf early in my career that it was time for me to kind of be with my kids and, and, uh, really get to know them before, you know, they become their teenagers now before they don't want to be around, you know, their dad. <laughs> so it's been fun to just kind of <clears throat> watch them grow up. So I don't have any regrets not going to TV, but, uh, um, you know, you never know someday I might want to do it. So, um, you know, they travel almost just as much as, tour players so they come in just a little later in the week i think yeah it's a it's a, you know and especially the guys you know who like peter jacobson who are still playing a little bit right i mean it's it's, it's a busy schedule i'd have to imagine but I, I think you'd be good at it i like an on-course yeah. reporter i could picture you with the headset walking with the guys giving your two cents with some funny comments because you've seen everything right you've won tournaments you've lost turn i mean you have the pedigree and the you know, the, the 20 plus years on the PGA tour, you've seen every scenario basically. So I think, I think, you know, I think fans would, or golf fans or people watching the, the telecast would respect what you're saying in the sense that you've been there and you, and you've done it. Yeah. It'd be interesting. It'd be very interesting. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, it would be, um, I've always felt like I can talk to anyone, you know, no matter who it is, you know, I consider myself, Somewhat blue collar, I guess I'm not blue collar, but I think I can, you know what I mean? I can yeah. get along with pretty much everyone. So I feel like I can, you know, I might have a little different perspective. I think Bones has been doing great because he's kind of got the caddy perspective. And it's been great that they kind of went that, that way too. Um, yeah, so he's always kind of fun to listen to because he sees it through like a caddy's eyes. I think I can at least kind of get a message out like to the, person sitting you know watching golf like what they're thinking or something like that i don't know maybe just give it something different and golf does do need that a little bit and what's funny is you know colt nose now is doing some some tv and you know just different um eras people talk different you know even the slang is just a little different you know so it's kind of funny and you want to get some younger generation and they're watching golf just to kind of keep golf moving forward and i i've had colt on the podcast and he was he's great like i can i mean 1000 percent see him him being absolutely great for television right i mean and i'm yeah where the hell does texas accent go now he's talking like he's from new york or something out on that on the tv no i'm just joking well yeah he spent too much time at uh, whisper rock and accent kind of left maybe they told him not to use it yeah, to get he, the southern draw going too much. So, so. well, no, it, yeah, Colt's good. Colt's he, good. Yeah, I mean, I think he's like got a great personality. You know, he's really witty and funny, and I think he's going to do great with that. You know, and I know, like from an injury standpoint, I don't know how much golf he has left on the PGA Tour, so it might be a good transition for him. I know he's been what sidelined for two or three years, basically at this point. Right? Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, yeah be a good transition. Um, speaking of transitions, you are also now. Um, 
in the business world with Lumco. So how did this company idea, you know, come about? And uh, what are some of the items that are that you're, you know, selling to the customers or available? And, you know, where can people find the information? Like what's sort of the backdrop and where are you sort of going with this? Well, it's uh, Lumco.com. Right now, we're just selling uh, T-shirts and hats. And what it is is just let's have fun with golf. Let's let's make golf fun. You think about it. I mean, you go out and you go out and play with your buddies after work at night, have a couple beers, uh, Ryder Cup matches in the summers, things like that. So how it came about, we're just sitting at the bar in Minnesota where it's cold, and we're like, well, how are we going to? Let's promote golf and make it fun. And I've done that with this guy with Bogey Pro 2. But we decided to uh, change the name, Lomco, and we sell some swag on there. And we get some, you know, funny items that are, like, sold out because we actually don't make that item or something like that. <laughs> but we do have uh, T-shirts and and hats and koozies and, you know, just fun things where not everything's expensive. You know, you go into a pro shop and Travis Matthews, you you know, you buy a, a shirt and you're walking out of there three, four hundred bucks, you know. This is, you know, T-shirts, $20 T-shirts. And, you know, we're trying to just sell it to the common man. And hopefully we'll get some glassware and stuff too because I, I did start uh, a new beer, Lumpy's Lager, and it's been going pretty nice. It's in a lot of liquor stores here in Minnesota. Uh our distributors, five states, so we're hoping to maybe eventually get it out. But right now, it's just in Minnesota. I'd love to sell it on the website eventually. I'd still got to talk to someone about how to do that, how you get uh, beer across state lines or if you can or what all, all that stuff. So, But right now, our focus is getting it in, you know, uh, you know, you know, on beer carts and kegs in the golf uh, golf shops and you know we're just having fun with it so it's it's been great it's up north in minnesota where people do go play Ryder cup stuff it's in total wine here and in the cities and a lot of local liquor stores so and it's really good beer so um i'm really proud of the beer how it really turned out uh it's very drinkable it's not like an ipa it is a lager and you can have it playing some golf you know with your buddies Nine holes, 18 holes after work. So it's a good time. Hey, everyone. It's Jason at the Sub-70 Podcast. We have uh, some really exciting news that uh, we have teamed up with Aerotech and will now be offering the steel fiber graphite shafts in hybrids, irons, utility clubs. It's a wonderful product, a lot of tour usage. Uh, Their staff has been great, and uh, it's very exciting for us to have another partner uh, for us to work with at Sub-70. Also, in the next couple of weeks, we will be launching a new website at uh, golfsub70.com. So definitely give us feedback. Uh, anything we can do to, to make the website even better when the new one launches, you know, we're always willing to uh, hear what our customers have to say and hopefully make that experience better. Also, I hope you're enjoying the uh, podcast with Lumpy. Uh, great guy. Uh, nice as can be to deal with. And uh, it's hard not to root for our Midwest guy from Minnesota. So hope you're enjoying the conversation. Thanks again for all the support, and always, if there's anything we can do to help you with anything, feel free to reach out to our staff, and uh, we're always glad to help. Thanks again. How involved were you in this process of having to, you know, work very hard and taste all of this beer to make sure it's exactly to your specification? I'm assuming this was a very difficult job, but you were the man, you know, to do it. And, and I was, I was the man to do it. I was the man to do it. 
actually they kind of brewed up a beer and we went in to talk to them, see if they wanted to do something like that. We had a, a taste and I go, man, I'd love to have this beer. I don't think we need to make a beer because I think you made the right beer and they're local and they, it's called Ba House out of Northeast Minneapolis and uh, they're local and they've had some great success with their, you know, it's a tough business because there's a lot of beers out there, but they do a great job making lagers and people really respect their, their beers. Uh, they make good beer. So um, we go in and test and I go, this would be an awesome beer right here to sell because it's very drinkable on a hot day. This is something that I'd like. And we end up doing it. So we changed the name of their beer to Lumpy's Lager. So it's been great. And like I said, it was hard work, but like I said, someone had to do it and go through this well, process. Well, now I got to promote. Now I got to promote. So that becomes even harder work. Actually, my younger sister is my manager, my older sister. All her kids are out of the house. She's been in sales and advertising her whole life. So she's kind of taking it on, going to the liquor stores and stuff like that. While I was in Sanders Farm, she does tastings on the weekend. So she loves doing it and promoting it. It's been fun. It was the number one beer in the craft tent at the 3M Championship. So uh, I think people do like the beer. Yeah, and like you said... If you have yeah. to go and do this and go to the tent and see the fans and have a couple with them, I mean, it's, you know, it's tough work, but you'll you'll somehow survive, I think. Yeah, it's, but I'll right. be able to do it. Yeah, yeah right. You're, you're when you're soldier. having a beer, it's easier to deal with people. Right. Yeah, you get in that, like, yeah, two exactly. or three beer zone, yeah. and, yeah, you're good. Yeah. But Lump Go's been great. and um, I'm actually playing golf with the distributors on Friday and with my partner, uh, who's the funny guy. And he's really sharp. He's, you know, he's the artist and and the comedian. And we've been having a really good time. And we're going to go play some golf uh, at my home club and, and get to know the distributors and have them pump this beer out. So it's going to be, it'll be a fun day on Friday. Perfect. Um, also going to ask you about your hand. I know, uh, and it's in your family, that uh, Dupuytren's, Dupuytren's fractures. Contractor. Yeah, is something that you guys have had to deal with. And, and and I know you've also kind of been on a campaign to kind of inform people that, hey, if you have something like this, you can, you know, you should get checked out, uh, kind of making people aware uh, a little bit more than, because I don't think everyone thinks about hand problems. And I know you've been very involved with that. So how are you feeling physically at this point? And what should people do if they think they may have something going on, you know, with their own situation? Well, if you think you have it, you should see a hand specialist for sure make sure you do have it i I think it it gets misdiagnosed some people think it's carpal tunnel where they might have dupatrins or the other way they might think they have dupatrins and they actually have carpal tunnel so it's very important to kind of see a hand specialist and um, i recommend maybe a hand surgeon or a hand specialist so there's there's kind of three options now there's surgery there's uh, a thing called needling. It's not like dry needling. It's not. It's where they go in and, and uh, scratch the tendon and try to loosen up the tendon. So I don't know exactly all about that. It's like a French procedure. And then there's also a shot called Zyoflex. So uh, with my campaign that I've been doing, my hands have gotten worse since uh, probably this summer. I see it, it's really starting to kind of contract. So um, with my campaign, I've been working with a doctor for like two years, just on the campaign part. 
So I'm thinking of going to see him maybe this fall in Phoenix and get an injection to see if the injection actually slows it down. The surgery slows it down. There's nothing you can really do to fix it, but you can slow it down. So um, I'm thinking the injection might be my first move to just slow down to where the fingers don't contract all the way down to my hand where I can't put um, my club in my hand. So that's kind of uh, kind of what I'm doing right now. So <laughs> I'm hoping that uh, he'd be willing to inject me with uh, it's called Zioflex. So that's kind of uh, what I'm going to hopefully do. I'm going to try to do it in between the tournaments that I'm playing. So I'll be kind of ready on the Champions Tour. Well, speaking of going down to Arizona, I know you're a member at Whisper Rock, which I think it's just got the coolest backdrop of like, was there 25, 30 touring professionals who are members down there? Uh, it's the craziest club championship I've ever seen. I've talked to some of the guys who are members there and it's like, it's like trying to win a tour event. Have you ever gotten play in the club championship there? And what's the, what's the sort of vibe like at Whisper Rock when you're down there practicing and, and kind of hanging out a little bit in the warm weather and, you know, get out of Minnesota? Nah, it, it is pretty funny. Well, it was about five or six years ago. Uh, I called up to play and they go, Oh, we got our club championship. Um, sorry. Uh, you can't get a tea time. I go, well, what if I just sign up for the club championship? And they're like, yeah, fine. So I had, I think I actually had to go to Pebble. I had to go to a tournament. So I played the one round I was leading, and then I, it's the only tournament I've ever withdrawn in. <laughs> I had to withdraw, but I had to kind of play in the club championship so I could play that day to kind of get, you know, before I flew out of town. So I did play in that, but I played, uh, um, I, I think I won the first year of, uh, where they make the golf course really tough. I don't know what they call that. Hardcore day or something. Yeah. yeah, hardcore day. I won that one year down there. But I've never really played the member member or anything. I've always been traveling. I got invited this year, but I, I couldn't make it. So uh, someday I'd like to just play in some of the fun stuff. And uh, But whatever. Well, I know McCord is a member down there as well. Is there any good McCord classic stories you have from playing any rounds with, uh, with Gary down there? Yeah, I got a good one. Um, we we're we we're playing and we were killing him for nine holes. And he goes, you know what? I'm just going to go in and watch the Masters. I go, you're going to quit and you know pay your bet. And he goes, yeah, I'm I'm done. I go, what are you going to do? Go in the locker room to announce? I get, they go, they've uh, they kicked you out of the Masters a long time ago. I don't think anyone in the locker room is going to want to listen to you announce the Masters. So I was just giving him a bunch of shit, but. Uh, Anyways, that was kind of the last time I played with McCord, but he he holds court every time he goes up there, so he has people who still listen to him, so good for Gary. Got good, good two or three guys still around him, right? I mean, he's still holding on. Still holding on. Oh, yeah, he's holding yeah. on. He's holding on to court. It might be the same story, but they still listen. So it's, uh, I, yeah, I, I like giving him shit, like, you know, because he can give it to me, so I got to give it back to him. Well, it's a good story that you you know you put him out of his misery, right? Like he's that was it. He's done. You haven't played with him since. You clobbered him. Go to the locker room. Exactly. Bet, and yeah, it's uh, like I said. There's got to be so many good stories of the guys who are members down there, and and also another member, Phil Mickelson. Have you seen what he looks like lately? Like, what the hell's going on? He looks like, uh, you know, he's looking svelte or something like that. Like, this is a strange one. He's pushing fifty, and he's you know he's posting pictures of him shirtless on the beach and and whatnot. So. Any idea what's going on with Phil here of uh, getting in massively good shape 
you know, nope, put something five zero. I just heard you go on some fast or something. So maybe I need to call him, try to figure out what he's doing, so I can start looking a little better before I hit that champions tour. Because I'm planning on when I go out there, I'm planning on walking and stuff like that. So I'm hoping to, uh, yeah, get in shape. I know I got some months. I kind of just blow it off. <laughs> the common man, right? Just blow it off. But then uh, eventually, I got to start. Uh, get just in a little shape, start walking and, and moving and stretching and just getting a little, uh, get a little toned up for the champion store. Well, yeah, I was, uh, I was, you know, Phil's always kind of just been like this big, strong guy. And all of a sudden I'm like, what the hell is he? He looks like he's lost 30 pounds. Fairly impressive, which is hard to do as you get older, but he's doing something right. I guess we'll see if he plays better golf from it. But, uh, Hey, if you want to look sexier at the beach, I guess he's, he's accomplishing that portion of it. Um, going to ask you, you know, you come from a really strong family in golf, a lot of really good players, you know, what was sort of your pathway to, to the PGA tour and at what point did you, was your talent really there that you, you know, you knew you were going to play D one golf and how did that kind of transpire to the point where you said, yeah, I'm going to do this. I can, I can, I think I can play professional golf. Where was sort of your start and transition into that? Yeah, you know, growing up in Minnesota, I didn't play in a lot of AJGAs and national events. I played in the U.S. Junior and stuff like that. So, John Field, I, it was his first year. He kind of took a, a risk on me. Um, he knew the head pro at my home course, and the head pro kind of said, you know, um, there's a kid up here that's pretty good, and uh, you might want to just take a chance on him. So he did. I was his first recruit. Now John Fields at the University of Texas, but that was at University of New Mexico. So I went down there, and I just remember driving down with my dad, and he goes, you know, if you can play fifth man on the team, that would be awesome. You know, you get to travel, the university pays for all that stuff. You got you get to go to Hawaii one, you know, every year because they, we're back in the same conference. And he goes, it's, you guys got an awesome schedule. If you can just make the team these events, it would be great. But the first qualifier I won, I ended up winning, I think I shot seven or eight 69s in a row and ended up winning by almost 20 shots. That's when I kind of knew that I could play with the kids from down south. So um, from there, you know, I, I had a good, decent first tournament. I actually got hemorrhoids that tournament. <laughs> I remember <laughs> suitcasing my bag up and down the hills, you know. Because it hurt so freaking bad. Oh, Jesus. But I, I played decent in it. Anyways, I had decent. I was all over the place freshman year. But then my sophomore year, I became a, an honorable mention. Um, and then first team All-American my junior and senior year. And played a lot of golf with Phil, Justin Leonard, those guys. And, you know, Phil was a superstar back then. But I knew I could kind of compete and and things like that. And then I just knew that I needed to play, uh, play, you know, professional golf. So kind of when I became a first team all American playing the Walker cup, stuff like that, I knew I, I wanted to pursue golf as a career. What's that Walker cup experience like of, you know, representing your country and playing with the, the best amateurs of your sort of generation. It has to be one hell of a special experience. Yeah, I mean, it was awesome. We killed him. I remember I had a good buddy. Uh, he actually played on the Champions Tour. He was older back then. His name was Alan Doyle. And it looked like he was swinging, I don't know, not in a telephone booth, but who knows what he was swinging in. But this guy could hit it. He could hit it straight. 
and he was a tough competitor. So I asked him, I go, Hey, uh, and he stutters a little bit. And I go, I go, Alan, do you want to be partners when I got picked for the Walker cup? And he's got the Southern draw. He goes, yeah, I want to play out of the woods all day. Hell no. Why don't you go get John Harris? You guys can be partners together and play out of the woods. I'm playing the fairway with Justin Leonard. And I think uh, as when they're partners, they, I don't think they went past hole 13. So they just they would just blow the field. They'd be having lunch while guys are still out playing. What was, <laughs> he in his, it, but. was he in his 40s probably then? I mean, oh yeah, he was, he was in his 40s, and then he played on the senior. He played on the tour for a few years before he hit the Champions Tour. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was like doing the web dot com. He killed it doing on, well. Yeah, yeah, and then he killed it on the Champions Tour. That guy must have had. I a remember strongest... talking to him. He was playing. He went to Corn Ferry. He was like a a Nike Tour. I think he was playing against Chris Perry. I go, yeah, good playing. You know, good win out there. He goes, you know, I had a, ch- I knew I had a chance to win this tournament. He goes, when uh, the first hole was 450 and Chris Perry pulled out an iron and I'm hitting driver, I go, I got a pretty good chance against this guy. This guy's already laying up on the first hole. <laughs> so he was just a funny guy like that. You know, he had some good one-liners. Yeah, and the, I remember, like, he must have, like, I was going to say the strongest hands and wrists ever because that swing barely got waist high. It was like a hockey, like a slap shot sort of deal. Yeah, and, and the putting stroke. And he had a daylight stroke where once he saw daylight, he'd push the putt. It almost looked like he was pushing his putts in. Like, I don't know if that's an illegal stroke, Alan. But, uh, anyways, he, he uh, ended up making almost 20, I think he made close to $20 million or something like that. Yeah, he, he might want to lie. He was 15 or something. So. Yeah, he, he, he got on the Champions Tour and he played like great for like 12 years out there or something, if I remember. He won a, yeah. he won a shit ton of them. That's a, I didn't know he was on your team. That's so interesting. You know, shows how good he was. To even yeah, we had him on the team. We had Jay Siegel on the team and John Harris. So we had some guys like over 45 or over 40. Yeah, it must have been, they must have been over 40. So Jay Siegel, John Harris. Oh, and also Danny Yates. That was back in the day. They liked the older guys too. So then, uh, Phil was already a pro. Um, so it was Todd Dempsey, Brian Gay. There's another guy that's going to be coming out in a, two or three years. He'll kill it on the Champions Tour. Oh, with his he's putting stroke? He's competitive, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, he's going to do just fine out there. Yeah, Todd Dempsey. David Bergagno was on the team. Um, Kelly Mitchum, who's a hell of a um, club pro still. I think he plays pretty well in the club pro championships. Um, yeah, so we had a we had a good team. It was fun. What was Q school like? Q school like back in the day when it was kind of like all or nothing, where it was not like you know now it's corn fairies. You got a whole season sort of get your card and you still can go to the finals. Back then it was I think what five rounds, go like hell and try to get through it. What was that experience sort of like as a young pro with that kind of pressure and you know when you made to the finals trying to get your card to get out there? Well, I liked it because that was that was kind of your your chance. You didn't have to play the whole tour. I think they've groomed the players probably better with the corn ferry, but um, I I like the old the old way better. Um, but I remember I was still I was still finishing up school, and I had a semester left, and I went out and missed the first stage. And I remember going back talking to my coach. I go, now what do I do? Because I only thought there was one place for me, and that was 
the PGA tour, but I missed the first stage. He goes, man, there's so much stuff to do. And I signed with an agency and end up playing the Australian tour. That was awesome. Um, I played up in Canada a little bit and then I played some mini tours. So I always kind of made money and I played good the first year in Australia. So that was a great experience. And then, uh, the following year I got my, I think I was on the wet or Nike. No, yeah, I was on the Nike tour. So I got my Nike card and I finished in the top 30 on the money list. So that got me into final stage and then I made it through final stage and then I won my seventh event on tour. So then looking back, that's, that was kind of it. And I've kind of kept my card ever since. But what's that experience like, you know, seven events into it and it's, you win on the biggest stage. I mean, that has to be one life changing experience. You know, I mean, I do have a pretty good story about it. Um, It was like a deer in headlights. I remember all I could eat was like toast that morning because I'm, you know, this is huge. And I had a four or five shot lead. There's a huge hurricane storm coming in, like a tropical storm coming into Florida. It was the Honda. So I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, man, I hope the storm maybe comes in early. And they just, you know, watch the last round. Oh, we got three rounds in. I can win my first event and I wouldn't have to play the final round. But then you're not sleeping, you know. So they moved all the tee times up so we can get. Anyways, I played 18 holes in the rain and ended up winning by three or four. And because now I did play four rounds, I felt like um, I earned it more and that I could do it again because I did it the first time. It would have been nice if. It would have been nice, but I'm glad I played 72 holes instead of. A, was given to me after 54. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that was really, yeah. yeah. I went out there and played and actually won it. And I think that helped my career more than anything that I won that first event, all 72 holes. So it was great. I remember driving up to, uh, Arnold's event and, uh, now I'm in the champions, uh, category and now I'm paired with like Ernie Els and VJ Singh. And, you know, I was like crazy after seven events, I was playing with all the mini tour, you know, web guy or Nike tour guys, seven for seven events. And now I'm friggin' playing with, uh, you know, Ernie and, uh, VJ. So it, it was uh, a cool experience. And I think that helped me, you know, the first event's always a big event. Did you enjoy playing with those quote unquote, you know, marquee names? Or did it kind of like make you play better and want to show those yeah, guys as well? well I, think I, uh, I learned a lot. I think I learned a lot. I always kind of try to treat everyone the same. I mean, I don't know if you do or don't, but that's one of my like goals in life, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. And that's kind of, that's kind of my motto in life. So, um, yeah, they're great, and I think they accepted me too. And you know, to this day, I'm good friends with Ernie, and I'm you know good friends with VJ. I don't see him a lot anymore. Uh, when we get together, it's like uh, like time hasn't passed. You know, we're just kind of the same guys. So really good time. And that that uh, first win leads to three other victories. You know, Colonial winning Mister Palmer's tournament. Uh, pretty good stuff there. What of the other other three victories that you has or one or two things that really stands out. Uh, it's pretty good other victories besides the, the first one at the Honda. 
Well, I think Bay Hill and uh, beat Tom Lehman in the playoffs, so it's two Minnesota guys playing in Orlando. Uh, so, you know, he's a mentor to me, you know, big Minnesota guy, you know, about 10 years older than I am. And uh, with the same agent, you know, his brother and my sister, they work together. So it was weird, but it was cool. We were just both trying to win, and, you know, best man wins, and it was getting dark and uh but just to win that one i got to just to win arnold palmer's uh event he treated me like a champion uh every single year as a champion not a past champion but a champion and that was really cool and i got to hang out and get to know mr palmer because living in minnesota i had to go down there a week early and i got to know some great members and to this day uh really good friends of mine and um, that'll be one tournament that I really miss just seeing my buddies there at, uh, Arnold Palmer. So because I got grandfathered in, I'm probably, I think I can play it to maybe one of six. I'm going to just play one more just to kind of do uh, a hurrah and it's more of the friends. I'm, I think I'll be added to the field, so I won't take anyone's spot or anything like that. So, right. um, just the people that I've met been great down at Bay Hill. And then Colonial, right? I mean, what a great golf course to have a victory at. I mean, iconic. Yeah, the membership there was great, too, you know, and they've been great to me. They treat me also like a champion, not a past champion, but a champion. They've given me uh, a sponsor exemption uh, every year. I needed it since my win, and because I didn't get grandfathered in, to that one, they changed the rule on like if you win an invitation, you get at least till fifty or something like that. But uh, they've been so good to me that I will not, I probably I won't ask for another exemption. Let them you know move on and give the exemptions to some of the kids who they want to. And I I just don't want to put them on the spot because they've been so good to me. And you know I need to kind of feel like I kept playing. And you know they've they've helped throughout the end of my PGA tour career just you know, to give you some confidence when things are kind of down and you're not making, you know, the money and not having the top tens to actually get an exemption like that really helps the guy's ego. So it helped me uh, just to play at colonial. And I feel like that, that golf course, you need a lot of experience and stuff. On it's not like it's tricky or anything, but it's you know wind direction things like that. It's not like a ball buster course. You gotta really hit the ball well, move the ball around, hit up against the wind at times, use the wind at times, things like that. So I felt like experience on that golf course, I could compete on that golf course. So, and a few years ago I had a top ten. So, um, it's a great golf course. I love that place. I was also looking at the stats that you had on your, let's say, your prime run here from 96 to 2012. It's really good golf for a long period of time. It really was. What do you think you did kind of week in, week out during that stretch that, that made that golf so consistent for that extended of a period of time? Which, you know, you're competing against the world's best. It's not like this happened for one week. You did it for 15, yeah, 16 and, years. I, I became consistent, and I wasn't like a consistent driver. What I did is I played a lot of golf, so I didn't I didn't put a lot of pressure on it. 
So, like, when I'd come home, I wouldn't really practice. I'd go see my friends, hang out with my wife, stuff like that, and not practice. We were, like, talking to Nick Price. He'd take a lot of weeks off, but he was practicing on those weeks off. So um, we had two different kind of philosophies. His probably helps longevity and mentally and stuff, but the way I looked at playing a lot, I didn't put a lot of pressure on each particular tournament, which probably helped me like, all right, I'm not going to take this one too seriously. And, and sometimes you'd hit and you'd have a top 10 and because you're a little more relaxed at it. If we, where I feel like, you know, I have four in a row, you know, if I can play good, you know, three out of the four, uh, that'd be great. So the first one was kind of like a warm up. But then you actually sometimes play good on that warm-up, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So, yeah, just free, kind of freewheeling um, yeah, it, right? So just not much pressure. Of, of that. I think I've played almost 600 tour events or 550. I'm writing 550 to 600. I think I get close to 350 cuts, something like that. I mean, when when I was kind of done playing full-time, I, I think my cut percentage was about 75%. Pretty good. So I made quite a quite a bit of cuts on tour uh, last few years hasn't been, but it's hard to get in a rhythm. Right. So, um, so, but that's pretty much it. I mean, I guess if I'd go back and change it, I probably wouldn't play quite as much as I did, but, uh, you know, did I enjoy being on the, at times I enjoyed being on the road. I think at the very end, it, it got real, it was, you know, you got worn down. I got really worn down on the road, you know, playing so many events those years well it was still a it was a hell of a good run of golf for a long period of time which is not easy to do to be out there for that long and you know i think i think golf fans admire longevity and being competitive for a long period of time you certainly proved that so a lot to be proud of in the, that record yeah, there, my friend a uh, couple quick hitters and i'll get you back to the golf course here um I know you took a European vacation uh, with the family over the summer. Where was sort of the highlights, and was there one or two Griswold uh, family moments for the Heron family while you guys were oh, yeah. traveling? We do call we do call ourselves Griswolds, by the way. Um, so the Griswold moment is uh, walking in Rome, cobblestone. Dad took a spill, and it looked like it was in slow motion. You know, two fifty landing, and this Italian guy is, "Oh my God, what the hell?" My family's just looking at me, shaking my head. I'm down on the ground and up against the curb. Cars are going by me. And they're like, Dad, that's so embarrassing. So, yeah, I took a little spill in Rome. I wasn't even drinking either. I was watching another kid. You know, those streets are, you know, a thousand years old. So, I can't be sweating between cobblestone or whatever. I went down. But uh, we had a good time. Uh, Rome was awesome. I always thought. I always thought, like, uh, I would hate doing the tour thing and stuff like that. You know, we did a tour of Coliseum and the Vatican and just learning a lot of that stuff. I, the, the tour was really cool. I didn't think I would like it, and I actually loved it. And then after Rome, we went to Chingaterra, which is up on the coast, and, you know, swimming. My kids jumped off cliffs, backflips off cliffs. I'm like, when I'm going to the hospital, kids, you know, feet first but uh that was a really that was a really fun and good time because it was hot over there so it was fun that was probably my favorite part and then we uh went into florence and 
you know, saw the stuff with David and did all the tourist stuff and had some good meals and flew out of there. And uh, it was a great uh, vacation that I could take with my kids. I haven't never really done it because I've always kind of been on the road here in the States. And they're like, Dad, do you think we can ever go out of the United States? And my one kid's 17. He's never been out of the United States. So uh, it was a good time, good timing. And we all enjoyed it. So it was a great family vacation. No, no lingering injuries from the the spill. You're you're okay. No, just a little knee. It, it was on my bad knee, but it didn't hit my knee. I, you know, I got a little. My wife said, uh, "You're just trying to get out of the tours, aren't you?" I go, "No, I, that wasn't. It, it wasn't a fake. It, it probably looked fake because it was in slow motion, but it wasn't fake." He's like, she's like, yeah, you're trying to get out of the tours. I go, no, no, no. I still didn't want to do the tours, and then once I did the tours, I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Learned a bunch of stuff about the golf game. It was pretty cool. Perfect. Um, yeah, and well, I'm glad you know that's not going to linger into the Champions Tour starts next year. You're survived. You're you're back in tip top shape. You're ready to go. Um, exactly. So I'm, glad, I'm glad there's glad there's not a lingering injury from the Clark Griswold yeah, thanks. moment I that you had. It, yeah. Um, most talented player, just raw talent you ever got to play golf with on the PGA tour. And you were just blown away of what that person could do with the golf ball and how good it really was. Well, it was probably Tiger Woods, but I played a lot of golf with, um, thing and, um, where I, he was freaking amazing all the, uh, shots that he could hit and how strong he was and flexible he was. And, you know, I played a lot of uh, practice rounds when the year he won, like, nine events. So that was, like, his his best year, I think, when I was playing a lot of golf with him. And he was, he was incredible, just high cuts. And worked his butt off. You'd see him in the morning, and you'd see him at night. And he just loved hitting balls. He had that Hogan mentality, I think. Most underrated player you got to play with, with the, with the flip side, where the general public just probably didn't appreciate of how good that player truly was day in and day out. Um, I would. It could have been well, VJ Singh. He's a Hall of Famer. Are you talking like a guy that's probably like under the radar, right? But you're like everyone on tour knows that guy. Like almost like a like, wouldn't come to my mind. Played with him, but like Brian Gay, he's been like four wins. He's there, been out you know forever. I was thinking of Brian Gay too. Right, like you know, I think good. Brian Gay has gotten better through the years. I think he's even gotten better. He's better in his forties. I think he knows who he is. I think uh, in the way he plays, and he doesn't try to be anyone else besides Brian Gay. He plays like Brian Gay. He did. He has gotten longer, and I think he's worked. So he did go the right path, trying to get a little longer and you know competitive, and uh, he relies. Hard in his short game, and he's great at it. So, yeah, that guy's made a ton of money. He's uh, made more than I have, and uh, he's had a great career. Yeah, it just kind of flies under the radar, right? And every year it's yeah, like one point five to much. two. He's real quiet. Yeah, but he's, but he's a good, good guy. Yeah, he's that man complete. Yeah, I was thinking like a player like that who's just been out there for so long, and you know, it's probably like the easiest looking sixty. You know, you don't realize oh, would you shoot today? Yeah, sixty seven. Right? He just he can get the ball in the hole and. Those, yeah. He's been out there a long time. Uh, last one I got for you. Best two or three golf courses in Minnesota. If you were taking a road trip up there and you had access to any of them, which two or three courses, you know, private or public, what would be your two two or three best uh, from an architectural standpoint that these are just fantastic? And there's a lot of good ones up there. So I'd have to go Winsong Farms, where I'm a member at. 
it's probably the best golf course for a guy like me where if you play good, you can, you can shoot pretty low on it. The fairways are somewhat wide, but you know, windy and stuff like that. And the golf course is always in good shape. Unbelievable practice facility. Uh, second, I would say my favorite golf course is in, is Northland up in Duluth. It's an old Donald Ross on a clear, nice day. It overlooks the lake and it's almost a feeling like you're at Pebble, but it gets really cold up there in the winter. So you got to find the good day up there, but it's, it's amazing. There's some, it's a little tricky because a lot of the, um, slopes you think it's going to break one way and they keep the greens really fast. They're proud on their greens and it's just a really cool, fun golf course to play. You feel like, you know, you're, you're up north. You feel like you're up north and uh great spot. And then of course, why is that a country club where I grew up just because I have great memories there just growing up there. It is a good golf course. And, uh, you know, they've given me a membership there and I really support was at a country club. I mean, just because I could be a little range rat out there when I was a kid, uh, that's helped my career and, uh, helped me, you know, become a golfer that I am. So, uh, that's, that one's a lot more sentimental. Um, there's, you know, where we played, uh, the Walker cup interlocking, you know, that's where Bobby Jones skipped it across the water. Uh, we got some great golf courses. I'd say Minicata definitely in my top five. Uh, they've had a lot of trans Mississippis and us amateurs and, uh, that's a great golf course too, but a lot of them are little, uh, the ones in the cities, you know, they can't make them quite long enough. So you kind of gotta, when I play them, I hit a lot of drivers and a lot of wedges, but I, you know, I always think back, you know, if I did have uh and I did grow up young with a persimmon driver. I'm always thinking, you know, if I played a persimmon driver, this would be a you know a lot harder hole than it is today. So that's kind of how I go about it, and I just like the character of the golf courses. There's another one, Golden Valley, that's a Seth Rayner, that's uh, awesome golf course. No, that's a Tillinghast. It's a Tillinghast. Where do you put Hazeltine in that list? Uh, Hazeltine, um, I put it in uh, probably the top top ten here. I think the golf course is so hard and I always feel like I got to play the back tees. If I just move up a tee, I think it'd it'd be an enjoyable golf course, but I always play back and it's like in the fall and it's windy and I'm grinding just to break 75 out there. It's so freaking long. It's 7,800 or something like that. Now with all those crazy tees, but uh, it's a great venue because it's got a lot of space. It's a great venue for like a Ryder cup or a major or something because it's got a lot of space. Uh, to put tents and move things in and out for a, a huge event like that. So it's a great place to hold uh, a big-time tournament. And actually, the 3M tournament this year went really well. Um, Tom Lehman went in and built some new tees. And everyone goes, well, the, you know, they end up tearing it up because <laughs> they're hitting six irons in the last hole where I was hitting woods. And the hole's like 600 yards. It's like, 590 insane. or something like that. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. It's insane over water and stuff like that. Yeah. Bryson DeChambeau and those guys were hitting six irons in there. But anyways, uh, it became a premier event on the PGA tour for a first event. Uh, Hollis Kavner did an unbelievable job of that, um, tournament. And there wasn't one, uh, 
one pro that had anything bad to say about it. So it was great. The fans showed up. It was on the 4th of July and everyone thought they were going to go up North and, uh, they had a great fan base. Hollis Kavner did an unbelievable job. Got some young kids. It's a, it's a young kids golf course, bigger fairways and, and it's a bomber's paradise. And you'll see some of the bombers are going to want to come up and play this. Now will they even hear about it, how good it is. So there's not like a bad hole on the golf course. I think a lot of guys look at, we just don't want to play any bad holes. It can be kind of not really boring, but the golf course can just kind of be there just while there's not any shitty holes. Right. So that's right, right, guys. Right. And there isn't. Uh, it's a good golf course, good layout. Well, also those last couple of holes are going to be exciting for the tournament. Yeah, and right? I mean, you know what they do have—they do have water and exciting. So I'm not calling it a boring golf course. It's just—I just know a lot of uh, players. Uh, they just want the fairest test possible. If you get a good shot, you got a chance of birdie. You know, stuff like that. And that's how I think Hollis wants to uh, set up his golf. He—he he looks at his entertainment. And he wants birdies on the last hole and and some disasters and things like that and he sets up a, a great event and i think players enjoy playing that stuff well look forward to seeing that next year like i said the young talent that came up to the 3m and that i mean that finish was absolutely insane of watching those guys this year all hit basically great golf shots under the gun you know in yeah and, there was like four guys in it coming along last yeah it's exciting golf well, thanks so much for the time today. I really, really appreciate it. We'll be watching on the Champions Tour. Love to get you back on after that first victory out there. And uh, like I said, we're, we'll be looking forward to uh, watching the progress and, and seeing what you can do out there. And also some of the fall events. We'll, uh, we'll be paying attention to see how you're, how you're ramping up for turning 50. So thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate and enjoyed the conversation. No problem.